Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You, 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 Shot clock turned off. Calvary. Hall. Eight to shoot. Hall. The runner. Loose ball. It's good. Williams Goss comes out of the pack. Matthews for three. Oh, my goodness. Morrison. Six. It's time for Zag's Hoop Talk with Jack and Zach on the Believe Podcast Network. Oh, wow. Here's Jack Ferris. They found mold in my apartment. And Rob Zachary. All I was thinking about is, like, how do you know what things to use to wipe? Believe in the Zags. He's Rob Zachary. I'm Jack Ferris. Happy Tuesday, pal. How you feeling, man? I'm good. A rare Monday night game in the WCC. That threw me off. They used to be all the time. Remember, it used to be Saturday, Monday. That was my freshman year. Yeah, the good old days. You guys would own Monday night outside of like a little bit of Monday night football. It sucked because (laughs) you would want to party after the games and you had class the next day. So that was awful. Yeah. On the plane in admin on Tuesday morning, just brutal. And maybe uh, hopefully you guys didn't lose the night before to like an LMU or something. No, that was our day off on Tuesday. So then like, God bless you, Ryan, but she scheduled my whole day. I would have night class that night too. On Tuesdays? It was the, oh, it was the full day. I would, I had a full day on my Tuesdays. It sucked. That's a name I haven't heard in quite some time. Is Ryan still there? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I remember all the players, there was a love-hate relationship with Ryan. Oh, I have so much love for Ryan. She got me through college. Amen, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, Mark Medina, national NBA writer for USA Today, joining us on the back half of this podcast. Very interesting dude. A Syracuse alum. And him and Rob, speaking of love-hate relationship, I think it's mostly love between you guys. It's nothing but love for that guy, man. To be honest guys, with you, he's guys, hilarious. Guys cuss out the guys that they like. 100%. You just don't talk to the guys you don't like. That's how it works, right? It, it, pretty much. Guys and gals. Rob, did you bet on the Super Bowl? I should have. Oh, were you thinking touchdown, Tom? Oh, dude. You can't. Here's the thing. It was such a great game. You knew you were watching greatness on both sides. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, one side was greater. Mm. Fortunately, I did not. I, it was the first time in a long time I did not bet on the Super Bowl. But I did bet on the Zags last night, Rob. And boy, oh boy, was I a winner. Speaking of, football might be over, but NBA, college hoops, and the NHL are in full swing. The only place you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag, Rob. The Zags are 19-0, and Vegas has them absolutely dialed in. Against the spread this year, Rob, 19-0. They are 9-9-1. Right. How is that possible? I, I don't... <laughs> That's weird, to be honest with you. Dude, Vegas is insane. And last night, uh, we needed four consecutive free throws and a a last possession stop. So thank God Kispert and Nemhard decided to hit their free throws down the stretch. We're we're trending back into the bad free throw team, Rob. Don't don't say that. I mean, we are. Facts are facts. Numbers don't lie. Ball don't lie. BetOnline uh, covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And, of course, their 24-hour casino is always open because it's a 24-hour casino. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. Rob, if we were going to lose a game, it was last night in the WCC, right? Why, why would you say that? I don't. Think I mean, it just, look, come on, man. I, I it, it's. I'm just looking at the numbers. If we the most losable game on the schedule was last night, correct? Right. Right. Okay. Your general thoughts before we we go into the numbers. Well, I here's the thing. I think guys are still rolling. We're clicking in and. I was thinking about this last night watching the game was you don't know who's going to be the leading scorer. Sure. You know, and that is our biggest strength. I think is, all right, let's shut Timmy down. We'll shut Timmy down. Boom. Sug scores, or let's, let's stop captain America 
and boom, you know, um, Timmy goes off or Joel goes for a triple. Du- it, it, we are uh, a good Swiss army knife. I can say that. We are that. We are that. And look, Zags led wire to wire. The game was never really in doubt, but I'm tired of. We let our foot off the gas down the stretch. And it, you don't, all you have to do is watch and bet Gonzaga games to understand that. Okay. We started the game out 15 and two or 15 to two. I should say Zags were up when it was in Spokane. It was something even more ridiculous than that. The biggest difference uh, in this game were the starters and Nemhard took Anton Watson's spot. And I got to tell you, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate going a little smaller there. Uh, you know, and we are probably Anton's biggest critiques. Uh, I can easily say that. I don't um, know, man. I don't know if we are. I don't. Uh, the guy has a lot of hometown pressure alone. You know, yeah. I'll just, I'll just go with that. And um, you, we just gotta. Again, I'll just go back to what we've been saying throughout this whole season: is he just needs to keep staying aggressive. And don't let that all the outside chatter, even though it's easy, it's easy to get into a funk. Just don't let the outside chatter get to his head. And I think he he's a I think he's a tremendous player. And I everything in, in sports and in life is all about confidence. And I just don't want him to lose confidence. And uh, that, we, you nailed I think you nailed it right on the head, dude. And I think any casual to diehard Zags fan can see that. He We'll make a couple of bad plays, and you can see his shoulder shrug, his head dip a little bit. Uh, his body language is 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 rough to watch, and I know you see that. Yeah, and that's what that's what bums you out. That's the hardest thing for me is like, hey, hey, next play, next play, and mm-hmm. God, I, I just when I just said that, I thought of Coach Few, like next play, next play, come on, like, uh, all right, man. But um, the, again, we're gonna need him, and. Oh, yeah. We're desperately going to need him in the in the tournament, so he can't we he can't lose confidence at this point in time. We need him. Um, I I still need him to be aggressive. Uh, we need him to be aggressive. Everybody, so just keep your head right. If you need to delete Twitter and Instagram, yeah, there's some pretty girls out there on Instagram, I'm sure. But you definitely need to just get rid of that, then get rid of it, and just go with the rest of the season with a clear mind. So Zags, as I mentioned, start the game up 15 to two. And that was pretty much the difference in the game, Rob, because statistically, I I can't see how, you know, BYU didn't make this a closer game. Uh, Rebounds, we had 36, they had 35. We both shot right around 50%. Threes, they were eight of 21. We were six of 18. So they were slightly better there. Free throws, sorry to say it. As a team, we were at 57%. They were at 70%. We each... (sighs) We each had 14 assists. Now, here's the, here's the biggest disparity. We had 10 steals. Uh, BYU had five. We only had 12 turnovers. They had 19. So, again, the final score of uh, 82 to 71. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being critical just because I'm tired of saying how good the Zags are. Like, that's what it is. Well, and that's it was a big where, win in Provo, yeah. double digits. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm just looking to poke holes. I, here's my thing, and I'm going to say it now. We're going to win the national championship. Okay. And then we're moving out of this conference. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's go independent. Yeah. Why not? Uh, at this point, we've proven that we can do it. Let's just, let's just win the national championship and then bounce because, you know, we're not going to let these guys eat off us anymore. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm interested to see something to look for on Saturday. If uh, coach field goes with the same starting lineup, um, starting Nemhard over Watson and going small up on the hilltop, which should be a good game. Yeah. Always plays us tough out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do. <laughs> Don't have to tell you. Three yeah, straight L's. Oh, three stra- and you were there for all three, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I yeah. was. <laughs> I was. Uh, that's something I can be proud of, I guess. Joe Lenardi, four seeds as of today. He has uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and Ohio State. USA Today has uh, Villanova in for Ohio State. That's negligible. That might change, obviously. Um, but right now, Lenardi, Rob, has us has no, 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 not hating. Has us as the one seed, the eight nine matchup in our bracket. San Diego State, Oklahoma State, so a potential matchup with Cade Cunningham, the Jaylen freshman, mm-hmm. Jalen Suggs versus the six eight point guard, Cade Cunningham. 
there was a lot of talk of him last night during the broadcast, you know, on, on a ton of draft boards, it's a toss up as to who's the best point guard in the country and who's going to, you know, be better on the next level. So I, you know, that's a matchup Jalen Suggs wants. I can only imagine it's a matchup Cade Cunningham wants. It's definitely a matchup I want because I think if we shut down Cade Cunningham, who's a player, we're not even shut him down. If we limit him, uh, we would we would handle OK State. No problem. Jack, you kind of sound like a coach a little bit. <laughs> well, I know we're not going to we're not going to shut down one of the best players in college basketball completely. But if we could limit him, Jack, you might be my assistant coach here let's soon do enough. It. Yeah, I'll do. Hey, Jack. Put that cocktail down. Come on. Let's, put, <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's 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 do some basketball here. Make a pass, please. Uh gee whiz. Should we look at the um WCC player of the weeks? No, I'm so sick of it. I'm sorry. I just it's 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 redundant. It's like it's just it's really beating a dead horse now. It's we didn't really win bad. it though. We didn't we win didn't. It. For the third time all year, Gonzaga did not claim WCC Player of the Week and went to Colby Ross out of Pepperdine, his huh. first of the year. Congratulate, congratulations. Congrats, man. Yeah, yeah. Did something rare, you know? So nine of the 12 weeks we've played, WCC Player of the Week has gone to Gonzaga. Uh, freshman of the Week, Jalen Suggs won his eighth award, eight of 12. And one of the remaining four was Balo, freshman yeah. of the Week. That's incredible. That says it all. That's actually incredible to think about, you know, just he is a stud and um, you got to give him credit. He lived up to the hype 100 percent and I'm excited for his future and I'm excited to see what he does for the rest of this season. What are your weekend plans outside of watching the game on uh, on Saturday, Robert? Uh, last weekend I shot a Buffalo. I saw that. Tell me about your Buffalo experience. Dude, I did a commercial for Cal and I ended up getting a Buffalo out of it. And so, uh, they have a big ranch and they said, pick your Buffalo. You can get the meat and, um, you can have the head and a rug out of it. So why wouldn't I take that? What did that Buffalo weigh in at? 700, seven to 800 pounds. Um, how? Because I saw it dead in the field, and you guys were all mounted, posing like this, behind it. Yeah, like just we. It felt like I went to a safari ranch in like Texas. That buffalo was bigger than all four of you combined. How the hell did you get that buffalo out of the field? We had to go get a tractor and forklift that bad boy out. Oh my! Were you there for the for the dismemberment? Oh yeah, I was there for the whole. That's it's my buffalo. Damn it! Where's the Where's the head gonna go? Stairwell. Wait, they're walk. just giving it to you? Cause that's no, I had to do a commercial, man. I had to do a commercial. Oh, 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 oh. And so they're not paying you at all. You're just getting the buffalo? Yeah, I got a buffalo out of it. Why wouldn't I take that? <laughs> Honestly, that's a buffalo is not cheap. So you probably Yeah, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm not yeah. I'm not complaining. I said absolutely for a buffalo. We're we're in it. We're in okay. it for winter. So when is when is the rug gonna be in your place? Uh so I'm picturing I'm gonna have a picture uh, a painted picture of myself naked in the rug first. Yeah. Then I'll put the rug down. Like um white chicks. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like as soon chicks. as you walk in, you can see that. And I'll be like <laughs> just so grossed out. How are you gonna sell the meat? Because no way you're keeping all that meat. No, I'm not gonna get all that. I don't need all that meat, but uh, you gonna give it away, sell it? Yeah, I'll probably give it away or something like that. Yeah. How Take many, care. Are you gonna like send it to a butcher to make burgers? They already got. Hey, they do the, all that. Like, you just need to go out there and kill a buffalo, and they'll do all that for you, brother. That's oh, what. So the, you don't the even, ranch does that for you. You don't even have to pay for that. They're doing it no, all for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a deal. You probably saved yourself like what's that, like oh, six grand? Oh, I'm I'm not. I don't count. I don't count dollars and cents, baby. <laughs> I just I just make it happen. I one shot, one kill. That's why I got this cut on my forehead, bro. For battling the buffalo? No, I got scoped. Field? My dumb ass got scoped. Oh, oh. like a 10-year-old. Oh, dude. It, dude, as soon as I put that stock in my shoulder, I said, I'm and I, I didn't I didn't do any practice rounds. We're low on ammunition in this country, so no one's letting you just shoot rounds off anymore. So as soon as I put that stock in my shoulder and I put my eye right through the scope, I said, I'm about to get fucking rocked here. I'm about to get my ass kicked. Did anyone say, hey, beware of that scope hitting you right in the eye? Did you get like, I knew as soon as I, I, I knew it was going to happen. I was like, I was nervous to pull the trigger in that sense. Th that was the only reason why I was nervous to pull the trigger because I was like, I'm about to get smoked here. 
And I made that first shot and I was good. I was like, I'm glad I did that. Blood was pouring down my face. It was a, it was a great experience. Now when people ask about the scar, you could say, yeah, it was a Buffalo and just leave it at that. Bingo. That's all you need to say. (laughs) That's all you need to say. What else is there to talk about? Me versus a Buffalo. Yeah. You know what happened to the Buffalo? Look down at the rug you're standing on. Thank you. (laughs) Hey Rob, when you get that, uh, that naked portrait done, are you going to be clean downstairs? Very clean. That's right. We're we're in the thick of winter and a storm's a brewing. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. I have to thank my friends so much. There's like six or seven of my friends who have ordered it and they all have given, uh, given Manscaped rave reviews, rave reviews. Dude, you know who needs, they need, they need to sponsor is BYU. If you're going to have a low cut Jersey, Let's trim that taco meat up a little bit, guys. I was <laughs> like, there was like somebody, oh, someone had like low, the low cut jersey. You know, they got those low cut jerseys, but they just, they I guess they just want to be Burt Reynolds out there and just let their meat, taco meat, all hang out of their jersey. I don't know. We're not in the seventies here, guys. Like, the, yeah, use they, a man, use a lawnmower, or something. I, the body hair in general was questionable in Provo last night. Yeah, dude. What? The, come on. We're in the 21st. What are you guys? Come on. I, I, I'm not going down that road right now, but how how dated are we right now? Come on. Grow up. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code ZAGS. Z-A-G-S. Seriously, folks, they help us out. We need you to help them out. Uh, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code ZAGS. Z-A-G-S. Thanks, Manscaped for making our winter wieners look so good. No, that wasn't it, was it? Yep, yep. You have a copy for making our winter wieners look so good. Okay, say I like when they do make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. I like that. That's kind of Yeah, a little winter wiener is a little too graphic for me. It's too on the nose. It's too on the nose. Not going to lie. That's not, and they're usually really good at writing copy. That one was a little too much. Yeah, a little explicit. Family show. Well, you know what's not a family show? Mark Medina. From the corner! Mark Medina, national NBA writer for USA Today. I'm going to get out of the way because you two look like you are so excited to see each other, hug each other, kiss each other. What, what emotions are going through your head as you see Rob Sacre right now, Medina? Well, Robert, always great to see you. I mean, I certainly would love to do that, but I'm sure Robert would also like to cuss at me, make fun of me. Do all the above. That was one of the highlights (laughs) on the Lakers beat. I'm not exaggerating this. And Robert can attest to this. There is this uh, pregame availability for beat, you know, for reporters that cover every NBA team. When that session ended, Robert all the time would say, Medina, get the fuck out of (laughs) here. It was one of the it was one of the main highlights of the bit. I was gonna say it's got to be bittersweet. I mean, he's he's cussing at you, but he's he's he knows your name exactly. And I think it was all in good fun for the most part. I'm sure there are days <laughs> where he actually meant that, but uh, it was also endearing. <laughs> did Rob did uh, Mark ever write anything disparaging about you? Um, you know what? Is my mic doing good, Jack? Or am I, are you gonna cuss cuss cuss? Nope, your mic's terrible. <laughs> Damn, I thought I thought this was a remix there. It sounded like you were DJing him. <laughs> All right, Mark or uh, Rob, do you want to go? Do you want to go somewhere else? I gotta go find. I gotta okay. go. I'm running around the house right now, getting this shit dialed in. Then, then, then. You see what I'm dealing with there, Mark? All right, Rob, we'll talk to you in a second. We we got we got the remix there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. People want, people think I lose the episodes. It's like, no, sometimes we do it. And, uh, they're just, they're just unusable. Uh, Mark. Medina, oh yeah. So I, I guess you, uh, well, you just cut it from there and then sync to when he starts again. Usually, but Mark, we're, we're, we're powering through you and me, buddy. Cause I've got, all right, well, let's, let's try to carry the show. National NBA writer. How weird has your job been for the last 11 months and take us through. Cause I'm always interested to see people who are in the in- industry, how their March of 2020 went. So from your perspective, it's been weird, but I also don't want to be tone deaf because this pandemic has been, you know, brutal mm-hmm. to so many millions of people whose lives have been lost. And then, well, not millions of people whose lives have been lost. I think it's 400,000, but that's still terrible. But yeah. the unemployed, but those caveats uh, very well established. Yeah, it's been weird. I mean, I'm used to going to arenas, going to games, talking to players, coaches, 
front office folks at the arenas, at the practice facilities, traveling. And right now I've, I'm just working at home here. I'm watching games on TV. I'm logging on to Zoom calls. I'm trying to do things over the phone and that's it. I haven't been traveling since November. Um, and then before that, I was in the NBA bubble. I was one of the uh, one of the few reporters that were able to go there. So I was uh, part of the first leg of that. Uh, so I went and it's sad that I know the exact days, but this is how surreal it is and life changing. I was there from July 12th to September 9th. And so that's almost two months of just round the clock, you know, 16 hour plus days of just doing it. And look, you're not digging ditches. You're covering the NBA, but it's the it's the idea of, you know, the equivalent of a, of a player. Hey, maybe on one night you can play 48 minutes, but can you do that consecutively like for multiple games that that can uh, lead to some wear and tear and fatigue? So it was definitely a challenge navigating through those things. It was also privileged because it was so unprecedented and. You know, there were so many things to write about because of the scope of it and the importance of it from the health and safety standpoint, uh, the social justice initiatives sure. that so many folks in the NBA were doing, uh, just the surrealness of what the bubble was, and then the games itself. So uh, there was never a, a lack of having things to uh, write and talk about, for sure. And here's Rob back in the closet, speaking of quarantining, Jesus. speaking of being you're, you're in You're ready for some barbs? Where are you? I mean, what's wrong with your internet? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in Spokane, man. It's it's scarce out here. It's weird, Mark. It's oh, it's only been in the wintertime, like late November. We started dealing with this all through the summer. It was no issue whatsoever. But it, it, so in Spokane, is it like the every fifty miles there's a gas station and there's only so <laughs> many telephone poles? Like, what, what what's the scenery like there? Uh, beautiful God's country. It's God's country here, Medina. You you need to come and visit one day. I imagine it's a lot like. Uh, upstate new york what do you call the is is everything outside of the city upstate what do you call something like syracuse because syracuse is right well, technically new york. technically syracuse is central new york yeah. but it's upstate it's upstate compared to new york city but yeah you look at uh cornell uh, that ithaca area and albany yeah it's Trash. it's a uh, brutal brutal winters and you know unfortunately a lot of deserted places because it was it was a manufacturing town and uh that's all gone overseas since then I but you know what, Robert? They got the cues. Check this book out. Legendary. <laughs> oh my God. They got they got we got the legends of Syracuse. You're wondering back in the day how many like notable Syracuse players are there? This whole book's got them all. <laughs> this guy, Mello. <laughs> of course, Mark Medina went to Syracuse. If you didn't uh, pick that up already, what year did you graduate? 2008. Oh, okay. So, so I just missed the, the national I, championship. I covered, I covered the shittiest era. Yeah, you did. Syracuse <laughs> sports, where the, the lacrosse team like misses the Final Four for the first time in 22 years. They missed the playoffs for the first time in 25 years. The basketball team they missed the NCAA tournament. The football team was always a mess. And to take behind the curtain, like for for my field, like you don't care who wins or loses. Like you just want to write good stories. It's cool to like meet interesting people like Robert, but in that specific time, when you're in college, like you kind of want to write about things that are notable and like, Hey, you want to check off the resume. Hey, I covered a tournament game. Right. And I couldn't do that. It was a, uh, it was a little depressing. <laughs> you had that one, uh, Jerry McNamara run, right? Where he hit yeah, like, three game winners in the big East. Yeah. He, he carried them on one leg almost, uh, to win the big East tournament. What did they do in the tournament that year? They lost to Texas A&M in the first round. Like, Beautiful. He was hurt. Yeah, it was a, it was a nice uh, week in New York City, and then it all went haywire the following week. Rob, we were talking about uh, uh, NBA bubble life before you popped on, and I'm interested. Mark, did you pick up a hobby? Did you did you learn some card tricks? Uh, so P90X. I went I went, I went. I went fishing twice, um, and there is this narrative out there that the NBA like. Stocked. flooded the lakes yeah. with fish that's not true i don't i don't but, believe you <laughs> but but i will say this i will say this so this is all a disney operation right when you get when you get an appointment to go on a fishing trip you're with you know a tour guide so they know all the spots of where fish like to congregate so they're helping you out and you know because it was so warm you know you're in florida during the summer a lot of the fish would congregate around the docks because it's cooler there. So they knew where they knew where the spots were at, but it wasn't like the NBA is like 
you know, all of a sudden like pouring barrels of fish into a lake. Like well, it's every, not that artificial. <laughs> every day on Instagram, there was six or seven new guys with like a four foot fish. That's because they're going to the docks. Yeah. Okay. The tour guides leading them where it is. Yeah. How about the oh. food? What would, how would you rate the food? Because it was a big deal the first two weeks everyone was there when it was like a fire fest cheese sandwich situation. But then it got yeah. better, didn't it? Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. I mean, I, I don't want to like come off as complain about it because like, A, you know, the times we're in, right? But I think what you have to keep in mind is this. The first week that everyone was there, we all had to quarantine. We couldn't leave our hotel room. And so you're getting meals delivered outside your door. And the food's not bad. But here was the challenge. One, they're giving you anything and everything. So there's a lot of things that you just don't necessarily like and you have to sift through that. And then the other thing is it got better as the week went on, but they were supposed to drop off meals and shifts, you know, at a certain time. And a lot of times they were late with that. So when you would get that meal, you would be eating, not knowing when your next meal would be. And then you're coming around and thinking, oh man, I'm hungry. Like when's the guy going to come knocking on the door? And sometimes it was an hour too late. So that, you know, it was challenging, but it is what it is, right? After that, the, the food was fine, but it was very limited. You could only go really to two different spots. And then you could also do, you know, food service delivery. And the food wasn't terrible, but you have to think, I was there again from July 12th to September 9th. You're talking about the same thing oh over God. and over again for almost two months. So yeah, like it wasn't great, but since when has the, the state of the world in the last year been ideal? So I was certainly looking forward to when I got out of the bubble of having some real food, having some nice takeout options, having some home cooked meals. But, you know, I survived. I, I plugged through. I, I took Robert's uh, ethos of just, you know, plugging away and making the best of everything and enjoying life. And so I tried to do, man. He inspired me. Hey, Jack. Mark was the guy you needed to talk to based on if you knew you were going to be traded or not. Oh, he, so he already had the insight on everybody. If they, so you would go to Mark and be like, Hey, am I going to be traded in this trade or what's the deal here? He already had the, the inside of everything. Did you ever leak it to someone like someone you were close to Mark, like gave them a heads up, like, Hey, you might want to um, get your affairs in order because you're not going to be here tomorrow. Um, not you, or were, you, were you ever, were you ever tempted to do that because you knew and they didn't? Well, no. So here's the thing. I mean, Robert knows this. Like when trades happen, they happen like instantaneously. So that whole idea, like giving a heads up is pretty impossible. But there is like a, a period and a momentum of like leaning into the trade deadline and just how the front office looks at their roster in the offseason. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm Robert can attest to this. I'm someone who like doesn't want to air like off the record stuff, even if Robert would like to say, hey, I like to stir the pots. I don't want to throw any names out there specifically, but there were definitely times where a player would ask, hey, like, what's the latest leading to the trade deadline? I'm like, yeah, like, they're they're fielding calls. They're looking <laughs> to see what they can get. <laughs> like, All right, I might see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, for you, was it pretty much every year leading up into the trade deadline? You were sure? Mm, you were like, like 70-30, I'm going to say? No, my first two my first two years, I wasn't concerned. Okay. And then my last two years, I hit Medina up like, hey, am I going to Cleveland or what's <laughs> what's the deal here, man? And here's the thing. I mean, this is how the NBA is in general, but especially those Laker teams, it was hot and heavy because they were going on all these weird parallel tracks where you have, you know, Kobe, he's dealing with injuries and they're trying to take care of him because of what he meant for the franchise. And then you, they're trying to set themselves up to have financial flexibility. So the mm -hmm. front office are signing a lot of players to one-year deals with the hopes of, okay, maybe some of them can hit lightning in a bottle and we like what they're doing. But if not, you know what? They're off our books for next summer. So because of that, there were vacant roster spots and there weren't a lot of guys that were there long-term. And so almost the entire team outside of Kobe Bryant was – you know, handling uncertainty of where they're going to be. And then on top of that, you know, this was the latter years of Pal Gasol. And ever since that trade that wound up not going through where they tried to get Chris Paul and NBA commissioner, former NBA commissioner, David Stern, nixed the deal. 
he was always on, you know, the, the trading block. And I don't think when I, you know, based off of my time covering the Lakers, that the Lakers were necessarily thinking, oh, we got to unload Powell. Like Powell was a two-time champion. He was really good, but he was also someone of value. So when teams were talking, they also listened. And I think, to be frank, the Lakers also try to gauge what they could get for him. And so that also created a really unsettling time during the offseason and leading up to trade deadline for him as well. What, what year was it when you got the assignment to go cover the Lakers? So it varied. I first started at the LA Times as like one of their Lakers bloggers Yeah. Uh, in the middle of the 2009-10 season, their championship awesome. season against Boston. Yeah. And uh, so it was a different role. I was just the guy like updating their website. I would shoot video at practices. I would write some stuff, but I wasn't traveling. Uh, we had someone else who did that. And then in 2012, I went to a smaller paper, the LA Daily News, to be their guy, like bigger role, like more money, you're traveling. So I did that. It's crazy. I think I, I did this, uh, what, Robert, your rookie season, right? This was the year with Steve Nash and Dwight yep. Howard and the coaching changes from Mike Brown to Mike D'Antoni. Uh, so that was the first year on the beat. So much stuff going on that, that year. So that took me through all of Kobe's, the rest of his career, and then the first year with Luke Walton as the head coach, and he's trying to coach a lot of the young guys. But it was a lot. I mean, I'm looking at the coaches I covered. It was Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, uh, Byron Scott, and Luke Walton. So, like, what about Bickerstaff? Bernie Bickerstaff for five games, four and one record. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. 80 percent well, brother I think, I think he's i think he's the all-time uh winningest lakers coach right <laughs> probably yeah percentage wise <laughs> that lakers that lakers stretch is so interesting because obviously it was the worst i mean it it's the, the lakers I've had, I, I can easily say I, no one has my laker career hands down <laughs> <laughs> well on one hand yeah it's it's a stain on what is otherwise a, a beautiful unbelievable resume for you know the history of the la lakers but you're also playing with how many future Hall of Famers? You know, like with Steve, with Kobe, Powell. I mean, it's it's the NBA Hall of Fame. Powell's going to be in, right? Steve, Kobe. You know, it's remarkable. Steve, Kobe, Powell, uh, Antoine Jameson, Chris Kamen, Carlos Boozer. We're not Lou. just naming Hall of Famers now. We're just naming guys. Just, I'm just thinking. Just, I'm sure? just thinking of these guys. You're, you're naming all your teammates. <laughs> yeah, there exactly. Were <laughs> there were a lot of them. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, it's just fascinating because, I, I mean, I, that's just – it's a cautionary tale. You can't just collect – and the Lakers did that twice. I mean, well, you know, they went to the, the finals, lost to the Pistons in 2004 with that all-star team, with that aging all-star team. But – um yeah, yeah just, it was a I'm, little it was a little apples and oranges, though. I mean, the idea of assembling all-star talent, that doesn't necessarily mean that it leads to something. But I think the the Carl Malone, Gary Payton, Shaq, Kobe season was entirely different where I mean Kobe and Shaq were still in their prime, but they're hitting each other. And there's also kind of this impasse of like they know that this could be Shaq's final year. Kobe could opt out of his contract. You know, Malone and Payton are taking pay cuts. And I think before his injury, Malone fit in well, but Gary wasn't a triangle offense guy. But I think in, you know, the time that Robert experienced, certainly there were different different philosophies that they wanted, but there was also the injury component. I mean, Steve Nash, like, broke his leg the second game of the season, and then he was out for, like, a good two months. And then, you know, Dwight was dealing with back surgery and, Powell is dealing with some injuries. And I mean, Kobe was playing out of his mind, but then he had his Achilles injury toward the end of the year. So, I mean, you combine the injury stuff. I mean, even if there were some personality and different, you know, philosophies, like the injury stuff itself was just way too much to overcome. I hey, gotta, go ahead. Yo, go ahead Rob. I was going to say, what? how did you get all your information? <laughs> Can't share the secrets, Robert. Here's the thing. Um, I don't want to say this is just me. Like, I think Dave McMenamin was covering you guys from ESPN. Like, Ramona Shelburne's like a national writer. Like, you know, Woj. Like, everyone, like, has their own, you know, people they talk to. But, yeah, it's just a combination. It's a relationship business. So, you would just try to, like, talk to agents, talk to players, talk to coaches, talk to people around the team, and just kind of gauge what's going on. And, uh, you know, it becomes a thing where you're also trading information. Like, you're – saying like, hey, guys would sometimes ask you, what's the latest? So like for me, let's be, let's call a spade a spade. Like 90% of guys, it's not like they like talking to the media. Like some 
media folks are annoying, some like write clickbait bullshit, whatever. But I think there's also awareness that it's part of the business. And, you know, ones that do their job well, they have things that can benefit them in terms of information or things they want to promote or get their story out. And so it, it is a process. You have to, you know, kind of get to know people and know when to have the tape recorder out, when to put it down and try to like, at the end of the day, we have a job to do, but there's also a human element of knowing you don't always have to be that guy that's always on the record, just asking you questions. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that, you know, during the trade deadline or free agency or just in general, I found that, you know, Hey, you got to establish your credibility, but if you have information to share, people want that information. So a lot of times we might be trying to get information, but so is other people. And so I think once there's a feeling that this person is of use or value, like I think there's some more openness to it. Is breaking news more important than actual good journalism now than actual good stories? Because I think it's close. I mean, you look at guys like, you know, Woj and, and Shams and, and McMiniman, the top tier of guys who you need to follow on Twitter if you're an NBA guy. But then, you know, you may not be breaking in as much news week to week, month to month as those guys, but you're putting together quality stories. What's more important in today's NBA? Um, so to use an NBA analogy of like, you know, the, you know, the modern offenses, it's about layups and three pointers. I think for the sports journalism game, it's about breaking news and like enterprise stories and like, where do you find that lane? You know, can you master both or do something really good at one thing and not on another? And so what, what is like kind of going away in the NBA, it's been like the modern, it's been like the, the mid-range game, the post-ups. In our field, that's the equivalent of like a game story, right? Like yeah. traditionally, we would yep. write about a game and like- Your father's before, basketball. This happened. Yeah, but everyone watches the game on TV or social media. So it was always drilled in my head. Yeah, you don't want to like not cover the game, but treat it as a chapter of an 82-game book or an 82-chapter mm -hmm. book you know, 82 game season. So what does this chapter mean? And sometimes it is about the game because the game is important, uh, but sometimes it, it feels redundant. So you try to find like a theme that capsulates what it is about that game. And sometimes it's related to the game or sometimes it's kind of off the court. So for example, uh, you know, trade deadline, like that game isn't so much about that. It's kind of just the atmosphere itself of where the team's at, kind of the moving parts, what people are saying. And so for, I think the challenging part of this, though, is that you're dealing with a lot of muck in between where, you know, I think with social media, it's great that things are out in the open, it's interactive, there's kind of more accountability, but there's also a lot more bullshit yeah. from, from fans, aggregators, like commentators, even like some folks like myself, um, and you have to sift through that. I mean, there's so many times where someone might tweet something that they say happened and like we have to devote this like energy into checking into whether it's accurate or not. And sometimes it's a pain in the ass. It's like, why am I spinning my wheels doing this? But you kind of have to do it. Um, so that part's not fun, but I think the cream rises to the crop at the end of the day. So uh, the answer to your question, I don't think it necessarily matters. Are you about breaking news? Are you about doing these like in-depth pieces? I think it's a matter of like, how do you find the lane that suits your skill set and personality and then just drill it? And for me, and any outlet, no one's ever going to say we don't want breaking news. Like, of course you do. But it's sexy, baby. Um, it's so sexy. Well, Woj and Shams and all them, they're so good at what they do and they devote so much time to that. It's like, okay, how, how can you find your lane that differentiates yourself? So for me, I, I try to do a mix of like enterprise stories and columns, like an opinion on a certain issue. And then just use the relationships to like pitch ideas to, you know, whether it's like getting exclusives, but also like an idea, like a, um, an issue going on in the league or an issue with the team. And then just hoping that that can create a snowball effect. Where? And, and mm, go ahead. And I was going to say last thing, just to tie it up in a bow you know, my role now is a national writer. So I'm not like tied to a specific team, but I'm like their West coast guy. I have a, I have a great colleague, Jeff Zilgut, who's based out East. So a lot of times I try to draw on my institutional knowledge and relationships that I had covering the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. But I've also tried to parlay that into covering things with other teams. So there's a lot of coaches 
players that used to play for those teams that are now with other teams. So I'm, I'm trying to balance this seesaw of relying on that, but then also using my new role as a way to branch out and to learn new folks on other teams to, to do other things. Where do you see the NBA going or where is it right now? I know you have, I know you have insight. Yeah. Well, um, I wish I did. Cause it's so, it's so fluid. I mean, where the NBA is going is they want to eventually get fans back into the arena, but when is that going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, they started out this season, hoping that that was going to happen to start the season. That's why that they were talking about, Hey, the season's not going to start until January or February. But when I, when I talked to different health experts, like they thought, no, that's a terrible idea because the, the pandemic's not under control. And so the, the league quickly pivoted and kind of accepted the reality that this idea of having fans, at least to start the season, isn't likely. So how do we maximize on our TV revenue? Let's push up the start of the season, December, so they can get that Christmas Day slate and onward. And so right now, the vaccine's available, but the NBA does not want to cut the line because, you know, they're trying to, do good on all the public service gestures with making sure that frontline folks get it. But I don't think until the vast majority of people are vaccinated that you're going to have NBA arenas open up even at half capacity. So right now where it's headed is there's certain markets that are opening up with like a thousand fans, but it's, you know, there's so many rules of social distancing and mask wearing all the things that we know about. And so I think that it's the hope that by the time the playoffs start in May, that that'll be back to normal and that they can kind of coincide with the playoffs with fans coming back to the building. But we don't know if that's going to happen. So there could be a possibility if this pandemic keeps going on that you'll either see what you're seeing now of mostly empty arenas and teams traveling or for the playoffs alone, having little mini bubbles where they don't want to compromise the competitive integrity of games possibly being postponed for the postseason. So can we get everyone involved from ownership and the league to front the costs and for players to buy in of, Hey, let's be in the bubble for the playoffs. It's not going to be as long as it was last summer. And, you know, any team that loses in the playoffs, they're going to come home immediately. Uh, but that's obviously the worst case scenario. I mean, it's, it's been really hard to predict where things go from here because of just the nature of 2020. Mark, that might have been the most thorough answer in the history of this podcast. Hey, Robert <laughs> asked for the scoop. There you go. Well, that's what I'm saying. Medina knows all. And like, is it true that they took a, a loan out? You're talking the NBA? Yeah. I don't think they took a loan out. Now, there were there were um, some owners that may have taken loans out. The Lakers, for example, applied for that PPP loan. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, there was criticism for that because there's like small businesses that are trying to do it and they gave the money back. You know, the that's Lakers, a bad the look. They... That's a bad look. You were talking about being so <laughs> no at the beginning right. of the podcast, Mark was talking about being self-aware of what's going on, like the bigger picture. Lakers asking for a PPE loan is laughable. And that and that is a bad look, but I think in their defense, at the time, they didn't know once it came out, you know, who's qualified and just what the severity of this was going to be. So in their mind, it was going to be like a covering or basis sort of operation. Right. But, you know, it took a while for all these businesses to get the loans. So once they got it and they knew what it was for, they immediately sent the money back, but it, it, it didn't look good. Cause yeah. <laughs> you know, as Robert can say, like one of the things that's very interesting about the Lakers is, you know, they're known about this, they're this glamour franchise and, you know, they're one of the marquee teams in the NBA, but it is a mom and pop organization. It's family owned by the buses. It's not like it's, there's this like tech company that owns it. Yeah. But, it's a mom and pop uh, organization, but, mom and pop. But it's also a very, it's also a, a, an organization that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> so they immediately returned the loan because they knew the optics and also they knew they, they didn't necessarily need it. Like every team, relatively speaking is struggling financially like they're taking a huge hit but at the same time they still are worth a lot of money and this tv revenue that's a huge chunk of where the revenue comes from just the, the idea RSNs. that they're able to they're just the idea they're able to check this box of the revenue from tv because it, it's worth like i think over two billion through 2025 so 
if there wasn't a season in the bubble or this season, the losses would have been severe. So I don't think it's they're losing enough money where franchises are going to go under or anything, but these franchises were also cash cows and yeah, they have lost a lot of money, but they're still raking in money as well. What's the worst you've ever, you've ever been burnt on information, Mark, where you've gotten a scoop, you've tweeted it out. It turned out to be wrong, whether it was, you know, leaked to you intentionally incorrect, or it just didn't check out <laughs> that way. And you, and either way you look like an idiot on the other end. What's, what's the worst example that, you have? that never happened to me, fortunately, okay. but Robert, do you know the story? I'll share it. It's it's all good. I I have thick skin. <laughs> the the worst the worst thing that ever happened to me was there was a Lakers Spurs game, and at AT and T Center, there's some inside baseball in the Spurs. Like it's in the middle of nowhere. The Wi Fi is terrible. Rob's house. Right? Yeah, it's it's worse than Rob's house. Yeah. <laughs> so we're at a Lakers Spurs game. This is the 2014-15 season. Uh, or no, 2015-16 season when Byron Scott was the coach and there was a lot of young guys and it was Kobe's last year. So Wi-Fi was terrible. I'm up in the uh, press seats up above and I, I can't even tweet from my computer. Like that's how bad the internet is. So I decide, hey, I'm going to watch the first half of the game live and tweet from my phone anything that's relevant. And then I'll just go to the workroom at halftime, watch the game from TV there, right? So this backs, this whole background leads to this. There is a player on the team, Roy Hibbert, uh-huh. who winds up getting crossed over by Tony Parker, and he falls to the ground, his ankle's all messed up. So he goes to the <laughs> locker room, right? <laughs> he goes to the locker room. It's like, oh, is he hurt? Whatever. So we get a note from the Lakers media relations staff. Hey, like, Roy Hibbert went to the locker room to get his ankles taped. Like he'll be back. (laughs) Right. So we got that information. I tweeted out and and it fucking auto corrects to say Roy Hibbert went to the locker room to get raped. Oh no. Wait a minute. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. How long was it up? Well, it was only up for like 20 (laughs) seconds, but that's, that's way more than enough time for Twitter. (laughs) So, so, so so they say, Hey, Roy Hibbert, Roy Hibbert went to the locker room to get his ankles taped or to, to get taped. And I tweet, Roy Hibbert goes to the locker room to get taped and autocorrect to say Roy Hibbert went to the locker room to get raped. If if that's the worst that's ever happened to you, that's like, that's really an honest. People on the team made fun of me. It's all good, whatever. But I, I mean, I deleted it within five seconds he's like what the fuck like yeah. <laughs> i don't want this to get aggregated and that's terrible yeah. and the problem was with the wi-fi it was taking a while to like oh, no. load the tweet up so i could delete it so like instead of it being five seconds it was like a minute oh, and God. so there were enough people like on the pr staff and like the team that saw it and so it got passed around quickly and oh. i don't want to name names but it, it, like for the sake of the story there was someone on the Lakers training staff that came up to me and he's like, Medina, I fucking saw the bullshit you tweeted. He's like, that was complete bullshit. He's, and he was like, he was like, he was like, I can tell you that I did not do anything to remember in the locker room, but I can't speak for the other trainers. I don't know what they did. <laughs> If that's the if that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your career, that's not like damaging to your credibility or anything. That's no, that's a, it, it, it made for a punchline, and a lot of uh, folks on the team and media members give me a hard time. <laughs> oh, oh man! Do you remember it, that story? I I kind I just remember when Roy hurt his ankle, and he I thought he was going to die. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I didn't realize I was in the game or was on the bench. Either which way, I can't remember, what, but. Uh, we, we all probably said, damn it, Medina. <laughs> hey, Jack, Medina is always the one Kevin Durant would always cuss out, basically. Every time. Every time. That was it Medina. Was, no, it was one time. <laughs> well, you're not the only one. All okay, right. The backstory on this was, you know, the Draymond-Katie flare-up, right? Yep. Um, the next game, well, Draymond was suspended for the first game. But the next game, they came back there in Houston and, like, they're trying to patch things up. And so in the game, like Draymond's passing to him, like they're high-fiving each other, like on the bench. So like post-game, I asked Kevin, hey, like now that some days have passed, you guys are playing again, like 
where do things stand with you and Draymond? And he just looks at me coldly. He's like, don't ever ask me that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's, the typical shit Medina. Kenneth, That's the typical shit Medina would do, though. Just, 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 just being just being a shitster. But <laughs> I, this is credit, no, 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 no. I don't think Kevin's that's you credit. being. That I don't Kevin's see. Credit. I have to stand someone, up for the journalist. Someone had to ask. It. You're doing exactly. Us. You're doing your job. Yeah. You're doing your job. But secondly, like, to Kevin's credit, I know like there's different varying schools of thought of how people feel about Kevin with like the social media stuff and just leaving the thunder for words, whatever. But one thing I do give him credit for, he was always very accountable. And so I, not that I need it. Cause like, I don't give a shit. Like I'm a grown man, but <laughs> he, he did clear the air a few days. and like, he apologized. Like, you know, we were all good. And I think that goes back to what soccer was saying. Like when you have this like open relationship where like, you know, like, okay, this guy has his job to do like that but like he's not like one of those fucking randos that's like uh-huh. just throwing bullshit out you can have those conversations so, like a few days later he pulled me to the side and we cleared the air and it was fine but uh but yeah, yeah. i gotta stir the pot robert <laughs> i imagine as a beat reporter i mean you're not co-workers with the guys but you kind of are i mean you see it you see the guys what every other night for the most part every so damn if, day yeah, with this that, guy that's if you why don't you would say get the fuck out of here medina <laughs> Yeah, if you don't have like a good working relationship with these people, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be tough on both ends. I I would imagine more so on your end, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Here's the thing: like, we have a job to do, and at the same time, I wasn't like a columnist. Like, I was the guy who was getting information. So it's not like I'm like saying this guy sucks or Opinion that guy stuff, should yeah. be traded. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think also when you see people on a regular basis, like, not that they maybe it gets on their nerves after a while, but there's an acceptance of, Hey, like this guy's not going anywhere. Right. So yeah. how, do, how do you work with it? But at the end of the day, like everyone has their job to do. It's not like, I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, coaches, players that don't think one thing about like who writes what we say or whatever. They just pay no mind, but yeah, there's others that do. So you just try to do your job and be professional and also show that you're a human being. So it's all good. What's the best NBA storyline right now that you don't think is getting enough attention? Oh, that's a good question. So I feel like all the best storylines are getting a lot of attention, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, I'm fat. I'm forever fascinated on how the Nets thing is going to work because I, I am a hundred percent believer in, and so far it's shown that Kevin is playing really well after his post Achilles and I think that one of the underrated things in Golden State was that his willingness, as well as the other all-stars, of like, how do you have that balance of still being your like dominant all-star stealth, but like complimenting other guys? I just don't see how Kyrie and Harden are gonna make this work long term. I know so far they have, like they've tried to say the right things and they've done the right things. But I think at some point it seems inevitable that there's gonna be tension of who takes the last shot and who handles the ball handling the, you know, most of the time and all those things. So, you know, Steve, I, I'm a believer in Steve Nash. He's a hall of famer for a reason and great person, but he's, he's got a pretty interesting job on his plate. <laughs> I'm guessing you were there in Toronto when uh, Durant went down. Yeah. Yeah. And the dirty Canadians cheered. What was, what was your experience? Yeah, that, was there? Pretty, that was pretty ridiculous. Now it was pretty bad that they were cheering, but to their credit, I'm trying to think who it was. It was Kyle Lowry who immediately scolded the fans and they quickly pivoted toward giving the respectful silence and all that. I think their initial reaction, there were certainly a few of them that were boneheaded and just, it was distasteful, but I think a lot of it was, they didn't know the severity of what this injury was. I mean, they thought he just fell down and they're jeering him all that. And then once they knew, Oh my gosh, like it was his Achilles. Then it came into, Holy shit, this is terrible. I do so that's think the that- one that's the one thing like for me, I never had stakes of like who wins or loses. But one thing you never wanted, like mm-hmm. when guys got hurt, you always felt bad for for them. Cause I mean that's that's a health thing. And you know, that's their potentially their career. That's potentially like their next contract, right? Like you'd never want those things to happen. I call them dirty Canadians, but I do think for the most part, any, Sorry, any defend, defend, yeah. defend Canada for us. He oh. knows it's tongue in cheek. I'm, I love the Canadians. Uh, but I do think if that happens 
in any NBA stadium, the visiting team star goes down. Like in the NBA finals, your initial reaction is going to be joy before maybe you come to him and be like, oh my God, maybe maybe this is bad. And you know, the mob mentality, if the person next to you is screaming, person behind you is screaming, you're going to at least stand up and be like, what's going on? I did think they had a, um, uh, uh, they took on more than they deserved there, which leads me to my next question. Who is the worst fan base in terms of being mean in the Utah. NBA? Utah. I've heard it's Utah. Is it Utah? Bingo. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff did you hear from the Jazz fans, Robert? It was almost like BYU fans. Very similar. I'm sure, just, I'm sure the, the crossover is big time. <laughs> uh, just a smug about them that, like, you can't describe. Like, they just think they're better than you, for sure, all the time. Do you, you hear any racist stuff? I never got any racist stuff, but no one knows what my race is anyway, so I can't. <laughs> well, share, You're very share ambiguous. Share with us on the pod. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can't. I can't say anything about that. But they were just very disrespectful in a lot of ways, in like a, like, not blatantly, but just smug way. I don't know. It was weird. It was very weird, like condescending for sure. <laughs> Have you heard any race stuff? No, obviously not directed at you, Mark. <laughs> when you were in, when you were in Salt Lake City, you know what I mean? No, no, no. I I've never heard I've never fortunately I've never witnessed or heard any fans yeah. like yelling racist stuff to players or coaches, but I just know going around arenas just what the atmosphere is like and just what you hear over the years is that you know, that fan base to their credit there is a lot of passion and they follow the team religiously like they're devoted, but there's also I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a segment of the fans that do hurl racist stuff. So what was this two years ago when Russell, Russell Westbrook yeah. had that interaction? Look, like, I mean, however you feel about Russ, like with just how his personality is, like that doesn't excuse a fan toward saying those things to him. And when that came out, I think there were a lot of jazz players as well as players around the league that said, hey, like, I'm not surprised this happened in Utah. Like I've heard, things as well and i've read um you know when jordan when michael jordan and the bulls were playing the jazz in the finals that like he would hear things too and i mean it was a different era like you didn't hear about those incidences you do now so fortunately i haven't witnessed those things um but i'm, I'm certainly not surprised when i've seen video of of those things whether it was the utah fan with russ or anything else Mark Medina, national NBA writer for USA Today. Mark, before we let you go, do you have do you have a a, a go to Rob Sacre story? Wow. Well, hey, not to put you on the spot, but can I share the Q story that I told you the other day? <laughs> you know, Q's, Q, Q's like eighteen now. Yeah, go ahead. No, Syracuse, Syracuse. Oh, <laughs> yeah, th- that specific Syracuse story. I can share that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, so as you know, as you can tell, like one of the running jokes, Robert would always just be shitting on Syracuse. Like, fuck Jim <laughs> Beheim, He's overrated. The 2-3 zone. Like, who uses that in the NBA? Blah, blah, blah. So there was one time during like the pregame availability when we're in the locker room. Like, I'm there and McMenamin – or no, McMenamin wasn't there. But some other writers. And Robert was hanging out. And he started getting this argument with me about Syracuse. And he's like, Medina, like, name the uh, – name – NBA players that went to Syracuse. And I was like, Carmelo Anthony. He's like, well, that doesn't count. That's one guy. Like, who else? And so I'm I'm mentioning, like, Derek Coleman was in the NBA, Sherman Douglas, like, Ronnie Cycli, John Wallace. And he's just like, these are all old uh, players. How about, like, now? Like, name me some good Syracuse players that are in the NBA right now. And so, like, four lockers down <laughs> – sits Wesley Johnson <laughs> who went to Syracuse his final season in college and he's just like uh I'm sitting right here <laughs> he didn't count oh, though my God. He, he transferred count. He, he transferred I think it counts but the, but, but the implication Robert's like name me a good NBA player <laughs> and Wesley Johnson is sitting four locker lockers down and he's in the same room. He's hearing this conversation and Wes, a really nice guy, is just like, dude, like I'm fucking sitting right here. <laughs> Situational awareness. I love it. Yes, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, oh man. Well, and, Medina- I, and, I sh- and I shared that story to McMenamin and he loved it because he's a cute <laughs> guy. So he absolutely loved Who it. Who isn't? <laughs> 
Oh, man. Modena, we appreciate you. Now get the fuck out of here. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Sign Mark. Sign me off. Kick me out. <laughs> Peace, Mark. Thanks, brother. Hey. Rob, you got something for us? No one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. From the corner! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.